Welcome to Confessions with Cynthia, where we explore careers, relationships, and lifestyles of Homo sapiens. Hello, I'm your host Cynthia and today's special guest has been to every Disney theme park around the world and is part of the Fatty's Burger Appreciation Society. Please welcome Phil. Hi, I'm Phil and I'm an ex-hospitality worker. Thanks for joining us, Phil. So tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the industry. Well, I got into the industry because I, well, when I was 18 and I was a student, I needed to make some money somehow. Like um, we all do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I was actually, like, when I was out of high school, I was studying a diploma of hospitality management, mm. which then turned into my bachelor degree. Mm -hmm. And as part of that diploma, I had to get an industry placement. Mm -hmm. So I got a job uh, mm -hmm. working in a hotel mm -hmm. and I just started climbing the ranks from there. Like, I just started mm -hmm. off as a bartender in the restaurant and yeah. then every opportunity that I saw to you know, take a step up into a different department or mm -hmm. in, into a different role. I was always first to put my hand up and say, yep, I want to do that. That's amazing. I love you taking that initiative. And was there something that you were interested in doing at a young age or when you were early teens, you thought, yeah, I want to dip my toes in the industry or was it something you fell into? Um, well, I guess I always try to target hotels mm. because I really like staying in hotels. <laughs> and so I thought, what a better place to work than to be in the place I love to be in. Yeah. And it, it sort of ruined the magic a bit, I guess, but <laughs> it was nice. But I guess the main goal was I wanted to have a job where mm. I could get paid to travel the world. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I figured in hospitality, that was going to be the best way. Um, backup plan was become a flight attendant or something. <laughs> Fair enough. So, you, so really the emotional connection was – you enjoyed your time and your stay in hotels and that's why you thought it'd be really good to kind of join the industry because it was kind of something that you saw was magical, like you said. Yeah. And obviously going into the industry, it wasn't as spectacular as I thought it was. So being that, as, it's, as you said, after graduating from your diploma and your bachelor's degree eventually, what was your first year like working in the industry as a professional? Um, well, what I came to realise is, I mean, I probably figured this out perhaps a little bit too late to do anything about it, but I realised that for the career path that I was taking, mm. I didn't need that diploma. Right. I didn't need the bachelor's uh, degree. Yeah. It ended up, you know, I, I got a hex debt and that was just a waste of money. But <laughs> um, I figured I was three quarters of the way through it when I figured that out and I thought, well, you know what, I'm here now, may as well finish it. Mm. So, but still, while mm. I was studying, I was mm. still working. Yeah. And for my last year of uni, I switched to online only, mm -hmm. um, and then that able like that enabled me to mm. work full time. Mm. And by that stage, mm. I had already got into um, management trainee programs and started climbing the ranks. Um, but my first year out of uni, mm. when I had graduated, mm. I was put into um, like a quality control role. Right. Mm -hmm. So my job was looking after the Asia-Pacific region of hotels. Mm. Like we started off just with New South Wales and ACT. Mm. Then when they saw I could manage that, they then gave me Victoria as well. Wow. Then they gave me Queensland. Impressive. And then they made all of the other people that were doing that job 
um, redundant. Oh, no. And they merged my role into all of Australia. <laughs> and then they added New Zealand. And then they added Fiji. Oh, and why not? By the time I had finished, I was joining a team of six people. Right. That was responsible for every one of that company's hotels between Singapore to Los Angeles. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. And would you say that like studying actually helped you give some of the, you that back knowledge and that confidence to be able to manage such a large team, especially since it was international by that point? Not in the slightest. Not no. in the slightest? <laughs> no. Did you enjoy your studies though? No, look, I'm, I'm not a very studious person. Right, like, I I was literally doing it just so I could get the piece of paper that says I'm qualified to manage a business. Oh, um, fair enough. That was sort of my only ambition of getting a degree. And yeah. as it turns out, you know, that job, I didn't actually need it. I mean, it, I guess it, it looks good on paper, but mm. I don't know how many opportunities that's opened up for me. And oh, okay. And it cost me 30 grand in hex debt. Fair enough. So it was more hands-on experience that gave you kind of that leg up in the industry and in climbing through the ranks that you wanted to do. And obviously, because your role was so broad at that point, did you get to travel the way that you wanted to? I did. Wonderful. I did. And when I was working in that team, like the last team that I ended up with mm-hmm. um, in that company, I was traveling a lot. Amazing. Um, I was spending on average about 200 nights a year away from home. You're listening to Confessions with Cynthia. Here with Phil. Wow, that's incredible. And was it something that you really enjoyed traveling that much? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Like, Wonderful. I practically lived at the airport. <laughs> so they knew you on first, like, person basis, like, hey, Phil, you're back yeah. again. <laughs> there is, there's a George Clooney movie called mm. Up in the Air. Mm. That was essentially what it was like. Oh, okay. So you lived the experience. Yes, there. Oh, absolutely. Incredible. So I became a platinum frequent flyer with Qantas <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it got to the point where, like, I would get to the airport and the people in the lounge knew who I was. I was on first name basis with <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, of course. Like, going to pick up a rental car, people, like, the people who worked there knew me and the hotels that I would stay in, everybody knew me. Oh, it was, wonderful. It was, like... Yeah, I was, I was living that that experience of just people knowing who I am and mm. knowing my routine, mm. and they were sort of becoming like I know I was just a customer to them, but <laughs> it was sort of treating me like I was their extended family. Oh, that's really lovely to hear. And surely throughout your travels, you must have some funny stories, and we're so keen to hear about it. Please tell me a few of those funny stories. So we had this tradition in the company. Whenever we had a new starter mm-hmm. and we were sending them out on their first overseas trip, mm-hmm. you would give them a $100 US, like 100 US dollars mm-hmm. in, in a note. They would either come back with 100 US dollars mm-hmm. or they'd come back with the story of where that $100 went. Oh, yeah. Tell and me yours. <laughs> so my story of that, um, it was the first time I was sent overseas um, and I ended up going to Vietnam and Cambodia. Oh, now, I don't speak any Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. You know, I can speak Cantonese, which is, you know, it's sort of halfway between Mandarin and, mm-hmm. and Vietnamese, I guess. Um, but I'm really lost with anything language-wise Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, and my first job when getting there was to get a taxi from the airport to the hotel. Right. Um, I asked the driver to – well, I showed on – like I had a printout with an address right, yeah. of where I was going. Mm-hmm. I gave it, I showed that to the driver. He just signaled, yep, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And away we went. And it, I, I 
like I wasn't I wasn't even drunk or anything. I was just tired. But it took me a while to figure out that we were doing like we were just driving laps around the block. Oh no, that's and the worst. I don't know if you've been to Vietnam or not, but no. the traffic there is not great. <laughs> no, no, I haven't been, but I take your word for it. You're you're just like the the, the traffic jam is just nonstop. Mm. Like it doesn't matter whether you're out at three in the morning or three in the afternoon or whatever. There, there is just twenty four seven congestion right. on the roads. Like there is never a moment where you get a free run through the city, and we were just doing laps around and around this block, and it took me a while to figure it out, but. I was just watching the meter go up and up and up. Um, and um, the only money I had on me at the time was that. Oh, and, no. of course, they don't take credit cards in the in the taxi. Oh, dear. So, yeah, had to pay the driver in US dollars. And that was where my... That was where my $100 went. Oh, no. <laughs> so it wasn't really an eventful event at all. It was just you had to get by with that $100 bill and that was that. Pretty much, oh, yeah. Fair enough. Well, aside from, from that story, was there any memorable moments in your trip that actually you find was something that you would keep forever, that was something that you loved about that particular trip? Um, so I think that was like my first proper experience mm. with getting to know street markets right. and street food. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm a, I'm a big foodie. Like, yeah. Anywhere that has like, you know, nice restaurants and stuff, I'm, mm. I'm in for that. But if you are traveling through Southeast Asia or the Middle East or mm. in, in fact, actually not even just those, like anywhere in the world. Yeah. The best food you get is in street markets. Mm. Agreed. And, you know, Southeast Asia going through street markets, mm-hmm. of course, you're going to get some fantastic food. And it's just the smells and the sounds and yeah. just the liveliness mm-hmm. of the place. Mm-hmm. Exploring those markets is honestly like there's nothing better than that. I will never understand why people, you know, travel the world and go all to these exotic countries and then go and eat in a Western restaurant. Mm, it might be a comfort thing, but like definitely exploring outside of your comfort zone and trying the traditional foods, especially street markets, street stalls. And I think, yeah, everyone should experience that. So I'm glad that that was something that you really remember from your trips overseas is like trying the different foods and really going out there. So what was the weirdest food you've ever eaten while traveling abroad from work? Oh, um, fried spiders in Cambodia. <laughs> that doesn't, no, I would not. I, I don't think I could do it. Was it hairy? Uh, they weren't hairy because when you deep fry them, all the hairs burn Ooh, off. Oh, gosh. Um, I, I should say they're not nice, but I tried them. Were they like they're crunchy on the outside, juicy on the inside? Just describe that feel. <laughs> yes, and not in a good way. Um, oh, so when oh. you bite into a tarantula... And you get like the goo from whatever's inside them. It's bitter. Oh, there's a taste. There is a taste. <laughs> it's. I mean, the the spider itself. That's fine. But once you hit the the sack of goo inside it, I don't know what it is, but it's bitter. <laughs> that's really disgusting. It I, is disgusting. I don't think I'd, I'd give that a go. I give that a pass. Thank you, Phil. For yeah. That. No, I'm I'm not doing that again. I mean, <laughs> I, I would recommend people try it. Because right. maybe you'll like it. Who knows? Well, that's true. You might like bitter tastes. Although I know very few people that really enjoy like a bitter taste. Yeah. Well, I guess if you like coffee, you uh, know, yeah, coffee yeah, is a bitter true. taste. If you like beer. Oh uh, yeah, true. No, that's very true. And I do, I do kind of <laughs> like the bitter taste, but spiders is another story. So circling back with those memorable and fun stories about your travels, you must have had some difficult moments as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So when you are away from home as much as I was, mm. there are some times where you feel a bit lonely. Mm. 
and you miss out on a lot of things. Mm. So, I mean, I was doing this in my mid twenties. Mm. You know, most of my friends were still studying, or、mm. they were at home and, you know, doing social things with their friends. Yeah.、Um, and I had to miss out on a lot of that. Yeah. So yeah. there are some nights where, like, you know, you're in a foreign country, you're on the opposite side of the world, and you're in a different time zone to the rest of your friends,、mm. and You know, maybe you're jet lagged, or maybe you can't sleep, and you just lie there thinking, "What am I doing out here?" You know, I don't know anyone here. I don't know what I'm doing here,、mm. and you just like have these scenarios that play out in your head. Like,、mm. you know, should I really be here? Like, I, I'd want to be at home because I miss my friends. Yeah, definitely, and my family. Absolutely. And so, in those moments, did you ever feel like you were kind of questioning your career, having like roadblocks? Did you ever think about that while you were overseas? I always put a, a timeline on it.、Mm. Like I would tell myself, I am going to do this until I am thirty,、mm-hmm. and then I'm done. Right. And like then I would go home again,、mm-hmm. and then I would immediately start thinking about, oh, when's my next trip out? What am I going to do next? So you're looking for the next adventure after well, you came back. Yeah. Like as soon as I got home, I just seemed to forget about you know the、yeah. the, the depression and all that, and just went back to thinking, oh, I want to go out again. So you you really enjoyed the traveling aspect. So that was what kept you in the industry for as long as it did. Is that yeah? What you'd say I, I would say so. Wonderful. And so then, when you were thinking about you know in the middle of your career towards the end of it, any of the incidences potentially that kind of created that domino effect of yeah, I'm I'm going to leave. You're listening to Confessions with Cynthia, here with Phil. I think. What was the turning point for me is starting to see a lot of my friends get into relationships and、mm. then getting engaged and then having children,、mm-hmm. and I was sort of thinking, well, hang on, I've had to put my life on pause because obviously you're spending all this time away from home.、Mm-mm. Getting into relationships is hard. Yeah. Or maintaining a relationship is hard. Absolutely. So I sort of felt like that was the point where I was thinking, like, okay, I want to have children someday.、Mm-hmm. I am basically delaying that、mm. by staying in this job. So you felt like you wanted to kind of settle down eventually, and it seems like a good time potentially to leave in that moment. It sort of felt that way, right? And did you talk to like anyone, like a manager or a close friend that worked in the industry, kind of sharing those feelings with them before you decided to leave?、Um, well, so saying I decided to leave,、mm. I. I had sort of made up my mind that,、mm. you know, by the time I'm thirty, I'm done,、mm. I'm out.、Um, but that decision was sort of made for me、mm-hmm. um, because of COVID. So, you know, here we are in or twenty twenty, and the whole world is shut down.、Mm-hmm. Obviously, no one's going to hotels anymore.、Mm-hmm. No one's flying around the world. We can't、mm-hmm. even leave our own country.、Um, so. I was made redundant from my role,、mm, and that was very unfortunate. And during that time, how did you feel when you got made redundant from your role? I was I was sort of relieved. I mean, like I was disappointed, but I was also relieved. Yeah.、Um, I guess there was some advice that my dad was telling me when that happened, and that he said that a redundancy is never a bad thing.、Mm-hmm. Like it, it always leads to something better,、mm-hmm. and something to keep in mind. Is that it's not you who was made redundant;、mm-hmm. it was your role that、mm-hmm. was made redundant. That's very good advice. I like that. And that sort of, you know, that gave me the 
kick up the backside to say, okay, well, I need to, I need to shift out of this and move into a different direction. Mm. Um, I, I must say, like, you know, luckily, uh, I was able to get job keeper and all that, so mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, hard for money and all that, mm-hmm. and. Because I wasn't traveling anywhere, I wasn't spending any money. Mm-hmm. So I was literally like, you know, couldn't even go to restaurants or cafes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was sitting home getting paid JobKeeper to do nothing. And so that sort of, you know, um, made me think, well, this will do for now. I'll take the pause. I'll enjoy staying at home. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just see what else comes up. Wonderful. And during that time off and especially being made redundant, did you have or did you spend any time reflecting about your career up in that point before you made your next move? I did. And I guess something that like, you know, while we were sort of deep in the lockdown and all Mm. that and watching the rest of the world opening up, Mm -hmm. um, like before Australia and I guess watching the rest of the world getting their vaccines before Mm -hmm. us and, Mm -hmm. and all this, I was sort of getting a bit of FOMO of travelling again. Right, okay. And then it sort of dawned on me one day, I think it was about, you know, August or September that year, Mm. and I was sitting at home and watching, you know, all these people that were travelling overseas and doing all these things, and I was thinking, wait, hang on, I'm in this beautiful city, Mm. in this beautiful country, Mm -hmm. why do I constantly want to leave? Yeah, I think I was asking the same thing, and... So why why did you ask yourself that question for you? What was that for you? Well, it was, I, I guess I wasn't taking time to appreciate how nice it is to be in Sydney. Mm, mm, that's fair. That's a really fair call. And so that was sort of um, what told me, okay, whatever ne- job I get next, I want it to be something where I can stay at home mm, or I, I nice. don't need to travel. Like I don't mind traveling mm. occasionally. Like yeah. that's always fun to go out every now and then. Mm but I don't want every now and then to be always. Yeah, fair enough. And how do you feel about it now, looking back on it? Uh, Looking back on it now, I mean, Mm -hmm. well, I'm now in a job that pays a lot better. I'm enjoying my life a lot more that went, well, now that I'm a bit grounded. But I think what I've noticed um, the most out of this is that going on holidays feels special again. Yeah, that's great. That's really good to hear. It is. It was like, so all of the traveling that I was doing before, it got to the point where it just like, you know, going to the airport and flying somewhere or getting on a plane, even like sitting in a business Mm -hmm. class seat or a first class Mm -hmm. seat or whatever to travel wherever I was going, that didn't feel special anymore. Right. And when it doesn't feel special to sit at the front of the plane like that or to to go to a foreign country, when that Mm -hmm. just feels normal rather than feeling special, Mm -hmm. there's a problem. No, that's really fair. And so with all of that said, what was the positive aspects that still resonate with you and your experience from your previous career? So being able to have travelled around the world mm. uh, as much as I did mm. you know, before turning 30, mm. that I, those are experiences that I will never forget. I got to work all over the world. I got to travel. I got to see all of these places that I've wanted to visit and you know, that's something that I would never trade in for anything. That's beautiful. And I think you were living the dream. You lived the dream that you wanted to as soon as you graduated. So yeah. it sounds like the perfect deal that you got. And I'm really glad that you did. With the final thing, what piece of advice would you give to someone looking to join the industry today? So one thing that I would tell any 18-year-old, 19-year-old who's joining the industry or mm. um, 
who wants to start working in hospitality, especially if, you know, you're starting from the bottom, Mm -hmm. you're just working in the bar, you know, making cocktails, pulling beers, even Mm -hmm. being a barista, making coffees. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you understand the conditions of the award, Mm -hmm. like the the contract that you're working on. Mm -hmm. So we are very lucky in Australia to have such stringent worker, Mm -hmm. like workplace laws. And they are, you know, very decent towards the employee. They're fair to the um, to the employer, but they're more weighted towards, you know, the well-being of mm. the employee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a big thing in the news a couple of years ago with that whole systemic mm. wage theft. And I know everyone focuses on big celebrity mm. chefs that have restaurants that had wage theft scandals or whatever. Mm. The thing is, it can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that, like, I wasn't getting paid for the hours that I worked. But, you know, when you're working in hospitality, you get used to not taking, like, lunch breaks and stuff. Mm. I mean, I used to work from 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. And if you sort of wanted to take a break halfway through that shift, that's, you know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. That's when all your customers come in and have dinner. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you can't take a break then, and that's normal. But the award makes an allowance for that. And that if you work for more than six hours without taking a break, then all of that time that you spend working without taking the break after six hours is paid at double time and a half. Mm. Now, I was never paid that because they would manually alter our handwritten timesheets to say that we took a half-hour break in between. And then they would clock us out half an hour later. And they said, you're still getting paid for all the hours that you worked. They would just manually do that so they didn't have to pay that extra allowance. And I didn't really think about it much at the time. Mm. And I actually figured this out while I was on a long flight somewhere and mm. you know, had no internet and couldn't really do anything. So I just got out the calculator and started like jotting mm. down some numbers. You know, the first car that I ever bought myself was about $10,000. Mm-hmm. And all of those extra hours that I worked, in, I could have bought that car twice. Oh, wow. So that's what my advice to young people joining the industry would be. Mm. Know the conditions of your award Mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to put your hand up if something is not right. Absolutely. It's very well said. Well, thank you again for joining us today and sharing part of your story with us. And if you'd like to know more about Phil, you can follow him on Instagram at shotgun93. The link is available in the description. So this wraps up our episode and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye.